Listener Production. Hello, welcome to The Briefing. Last week, Rebel Wilson's happy news got us talking about surrogacy. Surprise! Okay, I just want to spill something. Rebel Wilson is officially a mom. The 42-year-old took to Instagram to announce that she has welcomed her first child, a baby girl named Royce Lillian via surrogate. Rebel describing her as a beautiful miracle. Yeah, it was very beautiful news. So in this episode, we're going to speak to an Australian woman who was a surrogate for a couple here. She'll explain how the process works and why the majority of Australian couples who want a surrogate are forced to go overseas. That is our briefing. First, Katrina Blouse is here for today's headlines. It is Monday, November 14. Hey, Tom. Hello, everyone. Well, the US President Joe Biden has asked for Prime Minister Anthony Albanese's advice on how to talk to China ahead of his meeting with President Xi Jinping in Bali today. So that's Joe Biden's meeting with Xi Jinping, by the way. Anthony Albanese uh, is hoping to get one. We'll touch on that in a sec. So Biden and Albanese spoke for 40 minutes yesterday. That was on the sidelines of the East Asia summit in Cambodia. At that meeting, Anthony Albanese invited Joe Biden to address federal parliament next year when he visits for the Quad Leaders Summit. Well, Albanese also spoke briefly with China's second in command, and this is being seen as a pretty big deal, as a bit of a thawing in relationships. So he had a chat with Premier Li Keqiang. It was constructive, it was positive, and I think it's a good thing that it happened. Yeah, so that's our most significant face-to-face meeting with a Chinese official in over three years. And if we get to meet Xi Jinping uh, around the G20 in Indonesia or the Apex Summit in Bangkok, that will be the first time we've met the top dog in five years. Which would be huge because the relations under the previous government have put, you know, our friendship between Australia and China at an all-time low. Uh, Apparently when Joe Biden asked Anthony Albanese what it would be that he would like to bring up if he uh, did mention Australia in those talks in Bali, uh, our Prime Minister said definitely those billion dollars in trade restrictions. Mm. I mean, we've had unofficial and official trade barriers on so many products, including wine and coal and seafood and barley. It's costing Australian exporters around $20 billion a year. So that is something that's definitely hoped to be on the table soon. And in America, the Democrats have defied predictions and retained the Senate after a win in Nevada in the midterms. I'm incredibly pleased. That's Joe Biden there. The incumbent was re-elected in Nevada, defeating a Trump-backed candidate. So this win in Nevada means the Democrats now have 50 seats in the Senate to the Republicans, 49. And then you've got uh, Kamala Harris's deciding vote. So that would tip them over. Yeah, the Republicans are set to win the House of Representatives, though. So that's uh, a change there. But it's nowhere near um, the victory the Republicans were hoping for, which is a big blow to Donald Trump. Um, He's expected to make this big awaited announcement on Tuesday American time, so Wednesday morning our time. People are urging him not to announce a run for the presidency in 2024. We'll have to wait and see. It's the sort of theatre drama that Trump loves. Um, If you were listening to our chat with Chaz last week, and we've touched on this a few times, he was worried about a campaign in in several states um, for Republicans of the sort of 2020 was a a fraudulent stolen election. 
Um, they were running to be the election officials in several of those states and all but one of those has lost. Yeah, such an interesting result because also if you look historically, it's usually the incumbent who does the worst in these midterms, but that hasn't really happened this time. I've been looking at a lot of the analysis over the weekend. A lot of the US newspapers are saying that it is in fact Generation Z who held off the red wave. So these midterms had the second highest numbers of voters under 30 turning up in the past three decades. There were three Generation Z candidates elected. Maxwell Frost, he won in Florida, in central Florida, which is a pretty key seat. He's only 25 years old. And, of course, abortion being that big issue that um, really made waves this election. Um, exit polls showing that many women um, were dissatisfied or angry with the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe versus Wade. And newly registered women made up more than two-thirds of newly registered voters. So I think, Tom, there's a lot of talk and I guess this cliche that young voters are disengaged with politics, but it goes to show that when their rights are on the ballot and when they're championed by the candidate, they show up. Oh yeah, of course. Um, Young people can definitely be engaged in politics. That cliche doesn't really exist a lot of the time. I think the other thing that's happening here, this is a longer term trend, is a a generational change. Here in Australia, uh, millennials um, are becoming the biggest generation by number. So as the baby boomer generation get older and slowly start to die off, um, there are more and more younger voters who are expected to vote more progressively. Um, So that is going to change the politics in the years ahead as well. Just briefly, in Ukraine, people are celebrating in the city of Kherson after it was officially taken back from Russia. They've been singing the anthem in the streets, which of course was illegal under Russian rule. Although before they left, the Russians made sure to destroy all of the city's critical infrastructure. They bombed bridges and dams. Uh, it is seen as a major victory for Ukraine mm. with Kherson, the only regional capital that Russia occupied. And a massive rain ban is sweeping across the southeast of the country and it's soaking areas that have already been flooding. And that's led us to ask for help from the international community for the first time with personnel from New Zealand set to get here later this week. We have a history of doing so in relation to bushfires. Uh, We've never had to do it before for floods. That's New South Wales Flood Recovery Minister Steph Cook. Meanwhile, the SES has issued 100 warnings across New South Wales with residents in areas including Burke, Condoblin. Uh, They're all being told to prepare for evacuation. And early voting in the Victorian state election has opened today and the latest polling is showing the race is closer than we thought. We're two weeks out from the election and a Herald Sun poll has the two parties, uh, Liberal and Labor, tied on the primary vote, but Labor would still win because the two-party preferred poll puts them ahead 53 to 46. When voters were asked about fixing the health system, though, they did put the Liberal Party leader, Matthew Guy, ahead of Dan Andrews, and more than half of voters are expected to cast their ballots before the election day on November 26. This will be such an interesting to watch. The first election post-pandemic, of course, you know, Victoria had the worst Mm. lockdowns in the world. Um, It'll be interesting to see whether people have moved on and cost of living is now on their minds. I'm not so sure about that. Also very interesting to see what uh, the Teal independents will be doing in that state. Uh, When we spoke to Simon Holmes at court for the briefing just recently, 
who of course is behind Climate 200 backing many of those teal independents, uh, he said that their sights were very firmly set on Victoria and they were hoping to do extremely well there. All right, Katrina, thank you for that. We'll catch you tomorrow in the headlines. In just a moment, Rihanna, Patrick and I are talking about surrogacy in Australia. So Nicole Kidman's done it, Neil Patrick Harris has done it, and now Rebel Wilson has, using a surrogate to have her baby, Royce Lillian. And it raises a lot of questions about how it works in America versus Australia and whether we need to change our system, given that most couples are forced to go overseas to have a surrogate birth. So Sarah Jefford was a surrogate for a gay couple here in Australia, and she's also a lawyer who specialises in surrogacy and donor conception. Sarah, thank you so much for joining us. What was your reaction to the happy news from Rebel Wilson last week? It's so exciting and so lovely when I hear news that somebody's become a parent after... I know that she had some fertility struggles, so I was just so happy to hear that she'd been able to have a baby. And she seemed so excited and happy to share that news with us. So it's lovely. Yeah, we got a few details, not that many. Um, As you said, she's been open about fertility struggles in the past. We know she's 42. We know that she also resides mostly in LA, in California, and she thanked her surrogate as well. So does this give us some clues as to the process she's been through? Yeah, look, I guess we can probably presume that the baby was born in the US through surrogacy over there. Um, I probably would have heard about it if it was happening within Australia. And we can probably assume that it was commercial surrogacy in the US. We have altruistic surrogacy here. And there's a good chance that she did IVF and used her own eggs to make that baby. So the baby is probably genetically connected to Rebel. And that's about all we know, really. Everything else is, you know, locked up in secret. Sarah Rebel in her Instagram post thanked her surrogate who, and I quote, she said, carried her and birthed her with such grace and care. You've been a surrogate for a gay couple, two men. What is that moment like when the baby arrives and what's that like for the surrogate? So surrogates really work towards that moment of handing over the baby and seeing the intended parents watching their child being born. So at least in Australia, it's pretty typical for the intended parents to be in the room when the baby arrives. When I gave birth, it was actually a cesarean section. So I was trying to watch the baby arrive and also watch the intended parents' reaction. And it was just amazing. It was everything I'd worked towards. There was some sense of relief that the baby had arrived safely. I felt like my job's done now. I, You know, that's what I promised to do as best I could. And watching her with her dads was just the best thing ever. Yeah. Yeah, it's a really interesting moment. I know for um, a lot of women, when they give birth to their own child, um, the baby comes straight up to the chest of the mother for that skin-to-skin contact. What normally happens in this scenario where, where a surrogate has given birth? It varies so significantly between intended parents and surrogacy arrangements. In my situation, because it was a C-section, she did get wrapped up and brought over to me for a cuddle, but the intended parents were also able to cut the cord and kind of be there in the moment. And then uh, quite often what happens is that the surrogate will still have uh, skin to skin and then at some point will hand over the babies once the cord has stopped and they've cut the cord. And then it's a bit of a sharing, really. Baby has cuddles with the surrogate, but also is sharing cuddles with the intended parents. So how does surrogacy work in Australia compared to California where Rebel and her family live? 
So we have pretty strictly regulated surrogacy in Australia, but we have laws in each state. So there are some variations between each state. You have to have a medical reason or a social reason for surrogacy, which really just means either you can't carry yourself or to do so is going to be risky for you or the baby. And if you then qualify for surrogacy on those grounds, then I guess the tricky thing is finding a surrogate. Quite often it's through family or friends and sometimes through social media that we might um, match intended parents and surrogates. And then it's all altruistic. So the surrogate doesn't receive any payment or a fee. I understand for the most part in America, at least it's commercial. So the surrogate will have her expenses paid and also receive a fee. We don't do that in Australia. So surrogates here will have all their expenses paid and shouldn't be out of pocket. And then the process generally is that everybody will go through counselling with a fertility counsellor and they'll get legal advice and there's often a, an agreement drafted up between the lawyers and signed by everybody. And if all of those boxes have been ticked, then they go ahead with the pregnancy attempts, which quite often is through an IVF clinic. So the IVF clinics are kind of helping to manage the process. And once she's pregnant, she's actually just like any other pregnant person. She can go to her local hospital. The intended parents can come to scans and appointments and enjoy and like being and experiencing the pregnancy as much as they can. And then at the birth, uh, everything would be as usual for any other birth, I guess. It just happens that there's extra people in the room. And then the intended parents need to apply for a parentage order because the initial birth registration includes the birth parents. So the surrogate and her partner are listed on the birth certificate. The intended parents choose their baby's full name and that goes on the birth certificate. But that birth certificate then is issued with the birth parents listed as the parents. And in order to change that, the intended parents need to make a court application to transfer parentage over to themselves. And everybody signs affidavits, lawyers are often involved. And the parentage order itself is then sent to birth, deaths and marriages who then reissues the birth certificate. And that second birth certificate then lists the intended parents I find it so interesting that we have a different system here to America, that they have a, a commercial surrogacy system and we have an altruistic only system. That must create so many really fascinating differences. I mean, one of them, you know, mm. you talked about before when you gave birth via cesarean to the baby for the gay couple that you did that for, part of your joy or your sense of satisfaction in that was was seeing them happy and and giving them a baby but that whole dynamic must change when there's a commercial fee involved i imagine it makes surrogacy a lot more accessible too so there's a question there because i know mm. the majority of of australians who go through surrogacy do it overseas so tell us how those two different systems play out and what those dynamics are like yeah, so certainly for Australia, because there's no um, fee involved, no transaction from the intended parents to the surrogate, it's very much about the relationship. Because if I'm not going to be paid to be your surrogate, I need to be invested in you being parents. Certainly the reward for me was seeing the baby arrive and being with her parents. And it's still like it's an ongoing reward. She'll She's nearly five and I still get that payment by seeing them together and by spending time together. So what I hear from intended parents that go to America is that while there is a commercial aspect, they still expect and want a relationship with each other. And the surrogate wants to know that that baby is safe and healthy and still have some sort of ongoing relationship with the intended parents once they take the baby home. So what do you think they paid their surrogate? How much? So I've heard of some surrogates in California, for example, being paid 50000 on top of all their expenses. Uh, famous people probably pay a lot more than that. Um, 
But for regular mum and dad in Australia who want to go to America, they're probably paying about twenty-five to 30000 American for their surrogate on top of those expenses. Sarah, how common is surrogacy becoming in Australia? So it's certainly becoming more popular. I think there's about 100 surrogacy births in Australia, which is a pretty low number. But we know that for every child born, there's a, all those people that try and get pregnant and it doesn't work. So there's probably... 250 to 300 surrogacy arrangements each year in Australia. It's very low. But there's also the babies that are born overseas for Australian intended parents. So we think there's about 250 to 300 babies born overseas for Aussie parents, um, which means, yeah, for every baby born here, there's two or three born overseas. Do you think it's a problem that most women here in Australia are forced to go overseas? Because, I mean, you can tell us a bit more about the process, but I imagine it's it's a really full-on process. And then to add the complicating factor of overseas travel and, you know, thinking about the different legal implications across two territories, that sounds like a real headache that I imagine people don't need when they're already going through something that's complex enough. I think also we can consider it from the child's point of view or the child's best interests that parents going overseas to have a baby is uh, riskier than if they just stayed here and did it in Australia. We are able to regulate the system. We're able to regulate our healthcare. We know that women can access pregnancy healthcare and birth healthcare under Medicare, for example. We know that we have, you know, amazing hospitals and standards of care. Uh, nothing against America in particular. Like I said, commercial surrogacy, not all of it's equal. But other countries where we've got women who are impoverished and healthcare systems that may not be up to our standards in developing countries, that you're actually placing children at risk. People will do surrogacy overseas if they can't do it here. We know that. They will find ways to do it even when it's not legal, even when it hasn't got a great um, legal framework. And even when it's at risk of the surrogate or the baby or even the intended parents. So are you saying we should open things up and allow commercial surrogacy here? Look, I'm not going to say yes to commercial surrogacy, partly because as, for myself as a surrogate, I was never interested in doing it for financial gain. And the surrogates that I speak to are also motivated by altruism. They want to help people. They enjoy pregnancy and birth. They want to see intended parents with their child. They're actually really passionate about that. But for all those reasons you outlined before, the extra risks for those couples that have to do this overseas, it sounds like we should open it up. Again, it perhaps comes down to compensated surrogacy. I think that would be more palatable for me. There's some elements of the community that are very against any form of commercial surrogacy. So I think if we're trying to bring everybody together, it's unlikely that we'll get commercial surrogacy in Australia anytime soon. We've had parliamentary inquiries. We've had politicians talking out against commercial surrogacy. I think because we started from the position of altruistic surrogacy, it's going to be a huge change to convince people that it should now be changed to commercial, which is perhaps why the compensated model is kind of a middle ground. Yeah, but absolutely, I think surrogates should be paid for the time and effort and the risk. I guess it's just what does that framework look like? Certainly, I think we should be supporting and promoting surrogacy within Australia as a better option than going overseas. So that was Sarah Jefford, who is a lawyer and someone who has experienced being a surrogate. And my heart goes out, Rihanna, to people who have to do this and go overseas to do it. That, that will just involve so much more risk, so much more complication. And, and I think Sarah laid out a good argument for a 
a compromise, you know, not to go full commercial here in Australia, but to compensate people more financially. And that might entice more people to offer themselves as surrogates and mean that less Aussies have to go overseas for this. Yeah, but I think we didn't really talk about cost. And I think this is still a large cost for people who are wanting to have a family. And I think that cost is still going to be a huge barrier, right? Because this isn't cheap. No, it's tens of thousands of dollars. It involves rounds of IVF, which are really expensive. So yeah, sadly, that seems almost impossible to get around the high cost of doing this. And it will preclude a lot of people, you're right. All right, tomorrow on The Briefing, we're having a look at what Elon Musk has done at Twitter so far. It has been a wild ride. Listener.